Dear listeners, welcome to Voices Matter. My name is Nicholas Kalmus. On Voices Matter, we invite people in the studio to talk about their projects and personal struggles. We invite them to speak about what moves them. My guest today is Sharal. Sharal does not wish to disclose his last name. What I can share is that he comes from an upper-class family of politicians. Sharal and I did not have the following interview in the studio. I joined him at the Theaterplatz. Here, Sharal sits with his back against a pole and a cup out in front of him. Sharal begs. He's very good at what he does. He's perhaps the best beggar in town. When he is not begging in front of the entrance to the parking lot, he can be found nearby with like-minded friends, drinking and talking. His story is, like all stories, bound by omissions and embellishments I did not have the heart to challenge. The core of his story is hard to imagine, though that does not mean it is not real. It is. Imagine this, imagine that, he repeats, and indeed it's uncanny to process that what's hard to imagine is actually real. Charles talks like a waterfall. We started at the source, his childhood. My childhood was very normal. I was good at school. I never needed to study. I never needed to do anything. I retook my finals later in life. I went to the University of Luxembourg. I studied law. It wasn't for me. I never wanted to have anything to do with those kinds of people. They're just so... I wouldn't want to spend all of my life with them. That's why I dropped out. I probably should have seen uni through, but what are you going to do? Anyway, I had a fight with my mother. She called the cops on my back. She claims I hit her, but she was going to break a vase on my head. Listen, and I just held on to her hands. That's all I did. I didn't touch her. I mean, I touched her because I held onto her hands and I took hold of the vase. That's all I did. But she told the cops a different story. I'm to have attacked her and this and that, and of course I got kicked out of the house. My dad was heavily handicapped at the time. I looked after him back then. My dad was the one with the real problem, not she. My dad had an aneurysm, the aneurysm that was six years ago now. He became a little boy, he was no man anymore, he just wasn't clear in his head anymore. He still kept drinking alcohol, and we didn't want to take that from him. Why would we? You know, he's already down, and then to take away his beer and cigarellos? No can do. We let that be, and just hoped he was going to get better. But it was really exhausting. I looked after him for one and a half years. I was at my parents' place. I slept above him in the attic so that I could hear him when he'd move. I was always ready to react. Again and again at night, and he'd have fallen down the stairs or something of the like. Or he'd sully his pants. Then you'd help him take a shower in the middle of the night. 
You'd be cleaning your own dad and he'd start crying all of a sudden. Things you'd never imagine. Imagine cleaning your dad like he used to clean you when you were a baby. And he wasn't even that old. But he did the same mistake I'm doing. He didn't react. And this, although he was a doctor. He had symptoms he should have been able to identify. He didn't react. He is dead now. I was only told two or three weeks after. My friend told me, say, I heard your dad died. I'm sorry for your loss. What? My mother, my siblings, nobody told me. And I had a phone back then. It was working. They could have told me. They just didn't. I have no contact with my biological family anymore. Do you have a new family? Oh, I'm in college. Yes, my friends here. So I just walked around here and there. I worked at a camping site. I got in a fight with the man. He didn't pay me. Why would I work then? Every morning, Sundays included, I cleaned the toilets, the canals. I went over the sanitary facilities with a high-pressure cleaner. Everything. And then he doesn't pay me? So I stopped working. Eventually, he took all of my things and did away with them. There was a computer, a skateboard, and some clothes. Nothing was really valuable, but it's all gone. And he used to be my friend. We were in the same boarding school, in the same room. I worked for him and he took advantage of me. You can't do this. I don't work 60 hours a week to be paid, listen, nothing, so that I can stay in this shack. That was the same time I got into a fight with my mom. I was on the streets. In the winter, I went to the Vanta Axione at Findel. It's worse than prison. You've got a huge dormitory with 60 people who are all really nervous, really wired. Beds fly around at night, there's fights. Imagine that. Every day it's a different kind of bad. Every day. Every day. And then the security comes running in. No, I prefer to sleep outside. I don't care if it's cold. You get a roof over your head, listen, and you choose to sleep outside because people are such jerks. There's a new shelter at Abrigado. What am I to do at Abrigado? I'm not a heroin junkie. What business do I have there? I don't want to go there. Yes, you can sleep there, okay, cool. But what business do I have with the heroin junkies? I drink alcohol, yes. I'll have weed every now and then. But God, the things they do there. We chase them away here, the junkies. When they come here and they think they can pull their stuff off here, we chase them away.
We don't want them to leave their needles or the junk you find at Gar or in Bonnevoir here. And the whole schrot they do on the Bonnevoir or on the Gar. No, we for We chase them away. We tell them they're not welcome here. This is our place. We drink our beer here. We drink vodka, whiskey, and rica sometimes. But there's no one here who'd put a needle to their arm. People know we do that, that we chase them away. They noticed. That's why there are no junkies, not many anyway. They don't dare. They know that if they show their faces, they'll have a lot of people on their backs. Some of them come back, though. I feel for them in some way. It's a terrible addiction. Listen, you don't walk away from it that easily. You're open with the fact that you're an alcoholic. Yes, well, why should I hide that? Listen, that's just the way it is. I have significantly reduced my vodka intake, though. I was at a litre a day. Now I'm basically at nothing. Maybe a sip here and there, that's all. I had an epileptic crisis because of the vodka. My body just didn't play along anymore. It was on withdrawal. And now I was, back in the hospital. Last week wasn't all too fun. People went at each other with knives. A dog was bitten to death by another dog. There was a fist fight. Just a lot of things at the same time. It was really exhausting. I tried to keep myself together. It's bad right now, but at least it can't get worse. So there's that. I try not to think about it too much. If I just sit there caring and I can't speak, then people don't even notice I'm there. You have to catch people's eyes. That's the plan. I try to stay positive. I try to just wish people a nice day and to ask them how they're doing. I don't ask for money directly, unless it's an emergency. I mean, I sit there with an empty cup in front of me. It's not rocket science. This work, though, it's interesting. It's much harder than I thought. You need to stay calm and catch the right moment. You need to remember people and not say hi twice. Some people insult you if you greet them twice. In some ways, I like doing this. It can be lucrative. Sometimes I make 50 euros in half an hour. That would be an hourly wage of 100 euros. Imagine that. It's crazy when you think, well, the minimum wage is 12. I always make more than that. Always. Always. People know me by now. I've been sitting here for three or four years. 
Sie noch schon Leute, die extra suchen. Some of them have a bit of cash ready for when they walk by me. It's cool. Also flott, ja, gesucht. Klar, da viele interessante Leute. You get to meet a lot of interesting people. I talk to everybody, no matter if they're a gorgeous woman or an elderly man or whatever. I've got no inhibitions anymore. I had to let go of them for this to work. You have to let go of inhibitions to talk to people like that. If you don't do that, you don't earn anything. But if I go... I make people merry and they'll come around. It's a weird business, but it is a business. It's a kind of work in some way. Most people don't dare. You don't see too many women who beg or live on the streets, but they exist. I wanted to ask you if you knew any and what the differences between men and women are in this context. Women can beg well when they do beg, but the problem is that women who live on the streets can slip into prostitution. That's a very big problem. Yes, I know some girls who beg. Some of them prostitute themselves. Me? I don't sell drugs. I don't do anything but beg. Some guys prostitute themselves as well. Unfortunately, that's part of it. When you're out on the streets, you're in contact with everyone, with all the junkies and all. You can't avoid it. You're outside all the time. You see everything. Some sell drugs, some sell their bodies. I beg. Everybody makes their money one way or the other. It's a different story for women. They can make a lot more money when they prostitute themselves, although that's dreadful in my eyes. Unfortunately, that's the way it is. I'll try to get back on my feet, and then we'll see what happens. Maybe I'll get into politics and become prime minister. It's about time. <laughs> You certainly have the conversational skills required. I come from a line of politicians. I'm not going to tell you who my great-grandfather was. I could, but I won't. He was in the CSV. I don't feel like joining the CSV. What would I do there? <laughs> that was Charles, as interviewed by yours truly, Nicholas Kalmus, for Voices Matter at Our City Radio.